Race matters. 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 continue, I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, whose land we are broadcasting from, as we have the privilege to do every week. The Gadigal people have been here for over 60,000 years before us and will be here long after us. And I'd like to pay my respects to elders past and present, as well as acknowledge the honour of Redfern, a place of strength, resistance, knowledge sharing and storytelling for so many communities, and the birthplace of black theatre in this country. This is, was, and always will be Aboriginal land. You're tuned in to Race Matters on FBI Radio. My name is Tanya Ali. In a moment, we're going to be joined by the wonderful Rainbow Chan. I'm so excited about this week's episode. We've been wanting to get Rainbow on Race Matters for a long time. The Sydney-based experimental multidisciplinary artist uses a bunch of field recordings and interesting instruments to build eclectic pop soundscapes that explore her East Asian heritage. We're going to be chatting all about that as well as her latest record, Pillar. So let's start off by taking a track from Pillar. This is Lull. Yeah. 
Lull by Rainbow Chan. You're on Race Matters. That one is off Rainbow's latest record, Pillar, and we're stoked to be joined right now by the stellar Sydney artist herself. Welcome to Race Matters. <laughs> Hello. Thanks for having me. So lovely to have you. Right off the top of Lull, uh, the track that you just heard, you reimagine a Waitao lullaby, uh, which leads somehow perfectly into this absolute banger. <laughs> Could you start by telling us a little bit about Waitao? Sure. So Waitao is a, um, well, it's a dialect of Cantonese and it's spoken by the first settlers of Hong Kong. Um, which my mum is a part of, so I have heritage um, through my mum. And I guess in the 60s in particular in Hong Kong, um, because Waitau was a rural dialect um, that the villagers spoke, it kind of got phased out um, in the education system as Hong Kong became more and more, um, I guess, modern and trying to uh, implement Cantonese as the main language. Um and then with that, also people saw it as kind of like a lower social economic status thing if you spoke a rural dialect. And so within a generation or two, it kind of pretty much got, um, you know, died out. And, and I sometimes hear my mum speak it to her sisters on the phone. Every now and then they might lapse into a, retelling a story from their childhood or something. And I really wanted to kind of rediscover this heritage of mine um, and I asked my mum, can you teach it to me? And she was like, oh, a really quick way or ex like a cool way to do it is to learn some of the folk music because then not only do you get an understanding of the words but also the lifestyle because the songs um, as a, with a lot of folk music is very um, integrated into the lifestyle, especially if it's like agrarian kind of um, traditional um living and then a lot of the songs help to keep up your morale or also instruct you on what to do with you know the vegetables in winter and etc um and so my mum didn't actually know these songs well enough um but some elders in my community in hong kong um i think there are only about 10 of them left in this particular town um they knew it and my auntie kind of hooked me up and was like go back to this um, community centre and you can find all the information there. And since then, it's just been a, this wonderful journey of discovery. Yeah, what an incredible experience. And so much like intergenerational knowledge in those communities, I feel like. And it's so um, exciting that you're, you've kind of spliced that into this very contemporary track. I feel like it speaks to something that I think we'll come back to throughout this chat which is the importance of music in, like, understanding identity and culture. How do you feel like knowledge gets passed on in song, not only through folk songs but kind of, like, throughout history? Yeah, I mean, it's so seminal and I think that there is a special shared sense of community that music um, instills in the listener and the performer that other art forms can't really do because music is a temporal um, element, like it's a temporal art form. It kind of, it, well, I mean, now we have recordings so we can listen to the same thing on repeat over and over again. But, you know, back in the day, it was this kind of intimate setting where, um, you know, and especially if it was without amplification, it really did suggest a very communal and very intimate um, experience. And so I think with, say, these folk songs, what was really cool about 
the the passing on of knowledge was that it was a particularly um, female form of knowledge in this community because men were taught how to read and write, but women weren't. And so um, this was a way for women to um, teach each other skills and kind of pass on wisdom. Um, but at the same time, because it's an oral tradition, it has also been kind of swept under, you know, other more dominant colonial narratives that, um, uh, that you know, don't um, uh, try to champion these kind of uh, uh, alternate um, stories. And so I guess what music kind of helps to do, or at least my kind of reimagining of this type of music is to let it be a reawakening and trying to make it also accessible to people outside of the community in a way that's still respectful of the culture and also sustained by lots of collaborations and kind of deeper understandings of what this music means and its function in society. Totally. Has anyone from that community that you learned from heard lull? Yes. Yeah. Are they into it? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I kind of think about it also as like, say, if you if you're a rapper and you showed your grandma your rap songs, they might not necessarily <laughs> dig it, the the you know the aesthetic, but they get that they they appreciate the kind of uh, approach, the, the sentiment, and the sentiment. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, like, I think, um, I mean, Lull and this remix, I guess, is only kind of one aspect of a much broader project that I'm doing. But that being said, there has been younger people in the Waitau community that have heard it and gone like, whoa, this is really cool. And one of them is a is the guy who runs like uh, Hong Kong Community Radio in in, in Hong Kong. And um, he's of Waitau heritage as well. So when he heard it, he was kind of a bit shocked at first being like, oh, this is the stuff that my grandma speaks. And then suddenly hearing it with this fresh perspective, I think has, um, at least in our conversations together, has kind of um, sparked or ignited a new sense of um, place and ownership over that. That is so incredible. I guess ever present throughout all of your work, but especially Pillar, uh, is an embrace of your culture and your heritage. It's something that I've always really admired about your practice. What feelings came up for you while you were like doing research and connecting more broadly to your family's heritage for, for this record? I think with this one, well, number one, I think it was really freeing to write an album that wasn't about a breakup. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, I I totally needed to do that when when I did write a breakup album. But I guess part of getting older and also looking at social issues more broadly and also think just thinking about like environmental collapse that we're you know facing and all these other you know um, horrible issues that we're seeing today um, I felt like I needed to pursue something that spoke a bit broader Um, and so by doing a bit more research into my own personal history and then seeing it resonate amongst other communities or hearing people respond to it and go, oh, actually, I, I have a very similar story. And, you know, I know that a lot of my stories, while I'm very privileged to have platforms that people can, you know, hear it, um, it's not, it doesn't exist in a vacuum and it is much um, reflected in, like, wider kind of situations. So, yeah, I mean, having a program like this is an awesome opportunity to kind of talk about it with other people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a little later on in the show, we're going to hear your track Gao Suo, which is also off Pillar, and the first track that you've written in Mandarin. How did it feel to like reclaim language in your music? 
oh, it was so nerve-wracking because I was like, the whole time I was just like, am I pronouncing this right? Are people going to be judging me? But I think it was kind of once I got over the initial fear and, um, well, I also have this newfound appreciation for anyone who can write lyrics in a tonal language especially because it's like it totally dictates the melody and you have to be really quite creative with the limitations of the language. Um uh, yeah, so it, it was kind of really freeing to just kind of get a bit more confident with that and dive in, and especially hearing the response and people connecting with it, regardless of their ability to speak the language or not, has made me go, yeah, great, I want to keep doing this, yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit about family, because Lal features your aunt and your mum at the top of yes. the track. Uh and I feel like family and the importance of family weaves its way through a lot of your work, both in visual arts and music. How do you think your family have shaped the art that you make? <laughs> uh, I think they were pretty crucial in the sense that, um, I mean, being from a uh, migrant family and seeing my parents kind of sacrifice the life that they had in Hong Kong and coming to Australia and starting over again in a in a career that was completely different. Like my dad was a sunglasses designer and my mum was a florist amongst many other things. But then they started a Chinese restaurant takeaway in the suburbs. And so it was this big shift. And um, and with that was a real sort of emphasis on working hard and not taking things for granted. And so I think throughout my work and because because um, it was pretty tough, I guess, not having um, my parents around all the time at home because they were working, like my sisters became really fundamental to my development and sort of my um you know, interests and uh, and hobbies and stuff. And so there was this really strong sense of solidarity between all the women in my family. And so that has just been such a natural thing in my life that I think um, becomes evident in the work that I make. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, I also sometimes think it would, I, even though I personally really value like kind of my family in my works, I also don't want it to um, exclude anyone who doesn't have strong connections with their family. I think it's much broader than just my own family. But, you know, a mother could be anyone that's of a, um, a, a influence in your life who is female identifying. So, you know, when I say, like, the last song on my album is for the mothers out there, it's it could be anyone who fulfills that role for you. There is a pretty incredible community of Asian Australian and artists of colour more broadly rising up at the moment. It feels like a really exciting time in local music. You've been making music for a while now. Mm -hmm. um, in your experience, how has the Australian music industry changed over the years? It has been so, like, it's just developed so quickly and and so wonderfully in terms of the diversity that we're seeing now. And I think, I mean, people are empowered by being able to collectiv collectivise and also um, produce things through social media and kind of more, I guess, alternate ways of um, social connections. But, uh, yeah, I think it's awesome. I'm really excited. And I always, I think back to when I first started and just, I mean, it was definitely a lot less prevalent to see an Asian woman doing a creative thing in the Australian landscape. Um, 
And I wonder, I mean, I wonder why now, but I guess visibility does have a trickle down effect. And when I hear, say, like after performing, a woman coming up to me and being like, I really appreciate like what you do because growing up, you know, because I heard you on radio, I felt like I was able to do that. And that's like, so (laughs) it's like, it (laughs) makes me genuinely just like so excited and so happy because when I'm making it in my bedroom, I don't think about it doing, having that effect, you know, I don't even know if the dog is going to listen to it next door. (laughs) So to to actually think that there's some sort of flow on effect um, is really, really cool. Were there artists that you kind of looked up to when you were starting out or did you, because to me, um, and I guess I was kind of growing up when you were like rising up <laughs> as well. And I, I feel like... I'm old. Um, oh, you're not. You're just incredibly... <laughs> I just, I think like to me you were a big trailblazer and still are, um, but... I know for a fact that like a lot of artists who are kind of rising up now see you as a big influence and I'm interested to know what the influences were for you. <laughs> well, um, I actually really love Bic Ronga, who is a New Zealand artist and she's Maori and Chinese. And I think I saw her on video hits when I was like, eight or something and she has she has this song called Sway that was like I think on the American Pie soundtrack or something. It's so good. It's so good. She's such an incredible artist and to this day now like every time I feel sad I just listen to her album and I'm like the world is okay. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So she was a huge influence. Funny story I actually went to one of her gigs at Good God Small Club RIP um went because she plays in a in a band with her husband and like it's a bit more um it's called Opossum and it's a much more kind of like uh, indie band. Um, so I kind of like went to that gig and went up to her afterwards and gave her a copy of my demo. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I was like, and it had a really sincere, earnest message on it being like, Dear Bic, I really appreciate everything you've done. Here are some songs I want to share with you. <laughs> oh, my God, that's so cute. And I don't know if she ever listened to it, but I handmade the cover out of fabric. So, you know, oh. if you're listening, please send <laughs> yeah. me a little DM because I would love to hear what you think 10 years later. Oh my God, that is so (laughs) beautiful. I love that you had the gumption to do that. Oh, I just had no shame. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like you and I and many of like our Asian Australian peers with creative leanings um, who kind of had those creative leanings as children assimilated into white Australia as best we could and then have gone on this journey of like self-discovery and kind of uh, reclaiming via diaspora art. Uh, How does your practice help you understand and explore your identity and how has that kind of changed over time? Well, I think what I started off thinking was that um, that if I went back to Hong Kong, I would see like a feel a sense of belonging that everyone else would be having the same kind of think uh, thoughts or conversations as me. And that's not the case. You know, if you are actually living in the country which you came from, you probably wouldn't be thinking about race because everybody there is also, is you know, is the same as you. So I think it is this diaspora and sort of third, third culture kid um, uh, perspective that is kind of in between and doesn't really fit in either one of the cultures. And I think being able to embrace that and use it as a strategy to interrogate um, issues and 
uh, is really actually, um, although it was hard when you kind of have to go through it when you're younger and not as confident, it's actually such a beautiful um, tool to have to connect with others in a really compassionate way. And certainly I, I, for myself, doesn't feel like it's kind of a a separatist or like exclusive way of belonging. I think it just opens you up to knowing that things um, are always kind of um, constructed by different flows of power and that you have to um, make meaningful connections with people who share values with you. You're listening to Race Matters. That is Rainbow Chan. Rainbow, unfortunately, we are running out of time. But before we go, this is a question that we ask each guest that comes through to Race Matters. When did you realise there was power in your race? Yeah. Okay, this is another one of my anecdotes that, like, involves my parents. Sorry, Mum and Dad, I have to exploit you again. (laughs) But, okay, flashback to the 2000 Olympics, guys. And I'm looking at Nikki Webster flying through the sky representing Australia. And I say to Dad, I said, Dad, I really want to be her. I want to be her one day. And he looks at me with such sort of conflicted, like, realness. And he says to me, honey, I just don't think you ever will be her because you're not white. And it was so... It was it was such a it was devastating, but at the same time it was super real. And I think from that on, not that he was discouraging me, but he kind of just was preparing me mentally for kind of the um, like the trials I'm going to have to that a lot of us will have to go through to kind of um, mark our um, you know place here. Um, but I think it made me really resilient, and from a really young age as well. Uh, and so yeah, that's kind of it. Really stuck with me that particular anecdote. Yeah, it's funny how Nikki Webster at the 2000 Olympics is such like that is all I, I remember that from the Olympics and Kylie Minogue singing on a night like this, and that's it. <laughs> and the giant thong that she yeah. was like on a float. Yeah. So bizarre. Oh, that is a beautiful story. Rainbow, thank you so much for coming into Race Matters. You can catch Rainbow Chan playing at the Chippo Hotel on Friday, August 23. That's next Friday with Gussie and Degrade on support duties. You can grab tickets via Oztix for about 15 bucks and we'll pop a link in the programs page for you as well. Uh, we are going to go out on another track from Pillar. It's called Gaussuo. Uh Do you have anything you'd like to let us know before we play this out? This song is, um, it's, it means tell me and it's a, it's a address to an old lover asking whether everything was real.
Race matters. 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 Race matters.